Hello, everyone. You're listening to Audiobookish. This is a podcast about audiobooks. My name is Fahed Rahman, and I'm here with Poppy Knight. Hello. And today we're going to be doing a review of Weird Gods by Susanna Imaginario. Would you like to read Susanna's bio, Poppy? Yes, so Susanna Imaginario is a misfit from Portugal. She moved to England to pursue a career as an aerialist and now runs a board gaming retreat in Ireland with her husband and their extremely spoilt dog. Her hobbies include reading, playing board games, hanging upside down, poking around ancient ruins, talking to trees and being tired. Her work combines mythology with science fiction, fantasy and psychology in a strange way. And I'll read out the bio for Weird Gods. The God of Time wants to destroy eternity. A mysterious immortal seeks vengeance. And a reclusive deity does what no god should ever do. She answers a prayer. As punishment, she's stripped of her powers and trapped in a mortal's body. Now a weird, a fated god. She's haunted by the memories and thoughts of her host and must hide her true identity in order to survive in Niflheim, the rival Norse underworld. There she discovers the afterlife is not quite what it used to be. Niflheim's new ruler threatens the precarious balance between a world overrun with outcast deities and mortals alike. To save her own sanity and find her way back to the stars, she must help the other weird overcome their grievances to defeat this enemy. But those who would be her allies appear to have motives as hidden as her fragmented consciousness. And yet, it seems, the greatest threat to her freedom comes from within, and the prize it seeks is her immortal soul. And this is read by Sarah Kempton. And I would like to thank Susanna for providing us with review copies of the book. Yes, thank you. Thank you very much. We're really grateful to that. So this is kind of a a reimagining of both Norse and Greek myths. What were your kind of initial impressions, Poppy? Yeah, it it very much is that kind of lots lots and lots of mythology um, yeah. yeah yeah so you've got the greek pantheon the norse pantheon kind of the main ones there's also a bit of egyptian gods in there and i think some other stuff as well and yeah it, it made me think very much to a lot of mythology stuff that i kind of know and am aware of in terms of books and tv and even just like on the internet quite a lot about mythology and stuff like that and i think it's relatively common for people to sort of go through a mythology phase Um, and that was sort of what this book made me think of yes certainly for anyone in that kind of mythology phase that it would be really good and mythology is kind of like quite in at the moment I'm just thinking there's Mm. there's lots of feminist reimagining of Mm -hmm. especially the Greek myths I I don't think the Norse tradition has received quite the same treatment apart but, from Guthrie stuff yeah, I guess. yeah 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 apart from yeah 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 but this is uh this is very much uh not necessarily I wouldn't say necessarily it's like a, a feminist reimagining even but it's certainly it's kind of a unique take on if these two mm. pantheons would uh face we're forced up together yeah we're, yeah we're forced together in um an uncomfortable situation mm-hmm. so yeah, I, I didn't know quite what to make of it when I first started mm-hmm. listening. I was in the, kind of a little bit uh, lost. And usually when I, you know, sometimes you read reviews of like fantasy novels and people who aren't fans of fantasies, one of their common complaints is, oh, I got really, I lost track of who the characters mm. were. I, early on, I got quite lost quite yeah. early about who the different characters were. I was just wondering if that's something that you encountered as well. Yeah, I did a bit as well. And I think sort of it's interesting that you brought up 
how it relates to other fantasy books because obviously a lot of other fantasy books are creating their own lore, their own worlds, their own backstories, um, their own history, all of that. And so they're very conscious of the fact that they have to, or they can play around with it, but it's sort of an expectation that their audience is not going to know any of this stuff because this book is the first time it's being brought into existence, you know? Whereas I think when you're coming from the source material of, you know, mythology, it's easier to get lost in what you know about it and maybe not so much what everyone of your audience will know. And that's sort of linking back to what I thought about that. People who are really in that phase, kind of consuming everything about mythology, would probably find it a lot easier to follow um but yeah i'm not as versed as um as maybe i'd like to be and yeah i think it it was in some places a little bit confusing but yeah like like you've said about other fantasies that's not always necessarily a bad thing um sometimes it's kind of cool to be thrust into a world yeah and i think the world that she creates is quite interesting so i think it mm. takes place on niflheim which is uh if anyone's fans of the Marvel movies is one of the, the seven realms that um, the four, the four mm. movies uh, take place in. And it's sort of like the Norse underworld, uh, mm. I guess. And throughout most of the story, the main protagonist, she's a God and she's be, I, I don't know if possessed is the right word, but she's um, been forced into this mortal body. And f- throughout most of the novel, we don't actually know what the main character's, name is i was just wondering mm. um what, what you thought of that basically yeah i think that's definitely the kind of thing where if you know you know yeah yeah like it is it is hidden from us but it can't really be hidden from anyone who does know stuff about it kind of the idea that it's the greek god of the soul yeah well if you know who the greek god of the soul is you kind of you know you know that yeah. um but it's still I quite liked how when I got to the end and it was still saying stuff like um, he used my real name, how did he know my real name and we haven't been told it yet, you know? So it's kind of a thing where even if you do know, it's kind of quite interesting that it's being kept secret and if you don't, then yeah, it's sort of a nice mysterious kind of thing. And I sort of linked it a little bit with like um, what they do in American Gods with Wednesday and who Wednesday is. Yes. And if you know the origin of, you know, kind of names for Wednesday and other languages and stuff like that you know you can figure out but it still delays the actual reveal for a while yeah and lots of gods do turn up in unusual guises so that Mm -hmm. there's a there's quite a few especially of the Norse pantheon that seem to be trapped inside human well not human bodies that's the wrong word um that's the other thing that confused me a little bit was um yes. like the different names of the the species and the mm. tribes and i don't know whether that's because if i'm reading that name i can kind of like i might be able to track a little bit better right you know where that person belongs to or what that particular tribal species looks like whereas mm. with the audio i might have you know literally maybe gone in one ear and then out of that out yeah. of the other so i was like the species that our main character belongs to. I was a little bit confused at times with it. That that was because they weren't human. They were kind of like uh, triads, weren't they? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, I think I got a little bit lost in that. But again, not necessarily as a a terrible thing. But that yeah. was sort of a little bit confusing. And I do think it's quite interesting, sort of branching out more abstract way. 
kind of how different people's brains work, like you say, about tracking information, whether you like see the word or hear it and stuff like that. I think that is really quite cool. And like I've noticed it a little bit when we've been chatting and kind of pronunciations of different names and stuff like that. Yeah. It sounds to me like your brain very much works in a sort of, it stores the spelling and remembers it from that. Yeah. Whereas mine very much is like, oh, I heard the narrator say it like that. And it remembers the sound and it kind of forgets the spelling. Yeah. And I think that's it's really quite interesting how different things work. And yeah, certainly for stuff like this, where you've got to track people and groups and things like that, then yeah, I guess knowing what works best, you know, if, you, if you're deciding between whether you want to listen or read a book, then yeah, kind of knowing how your brain works and what are you going to find easiest to follow is a, yeah, it's an interesting thing to think yeah. about. Usually with like fantasy novels, like they've got the, the family trees and mm, all this yeah, st- yeah. St- stuff in there. And I just usually I just skip past that bit. But with this particular book, I might have found that physical representation of how different yeah. characters are like related to each other. Um, yeah. Maybe, maybe uh, quite useful, especially when a lot of the political intrigue happens towards the end of the book. And you mm. sometimes it's kind of a, oh, what's this person's relationship with that person and what's their motivation for, for doing this and you know, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, definitely. I think when you have the like complex family relationships in mythology, that those kind of uh, tables and trees are really quite helpful. And I guess, yeah, some people are just going to, they'll, they'll, they're so invested in it, they just know those things already. But yeah, for people who aren't as consumed by it, it is helpful to kind of have a little rem- reminder yeah. of who's who. And I think that, I think there's probably something to be said about kind of popular culture of what the relationship between the different gods are and kind of what the actual relationship in the source material is yeah it's one of those things where the word actual is very difficult to use for mythology because you know there's so many different versions of you know the myths and how they came about and what the ending is what the middle bit is just so many different versions that makes it really great for people using their own interpretations and coming up with their own ones but then if you're going on a a kind of really like right or wrong sort of mind it's very difficult to go okay yeah but what actually was it and then what have they done (laughs) done with it it's sort of quite difficult yeah Yeah. um so i really loved the narration i felt she did a magnificent Mm -hmm. job and i'm actually kind of checking out what other audiobooks yeah she's done as well so yeah i thought she was she was really really good Sarah Kempton. Definitely. I completely agree with you. I thought that, yeah, Sarah Kempton's narration was brilliant. Like you, it's made me want to listen to other stuff that she's done, regardless of what the books are. Um, Or sort of, you know, looking at her stuff first and then picking books rather than the other way around. I thought, yeah, she did a really, really good job. I thought all the expression and emotion in it was really good. I thought the loads of different voices was really effective it was kind of a we spoke about this difference between like feeling like you're being read to and like you're being immersed in kind of thing it was a sort of you can definitely feel that it's one person doing these voices but that didn't feel like a bad thing that's just the style of it you know um it's not meant to sound so much like you really are being surrounded by all these separate people but it also didn't feel too much like she was sat there with a book reading it to you I felt like it was a really nice combination of it being performed by a individual person I guess is what I'm thinking yeah and yeah I thought that was really really good and yeah properly brought it to life and like I just said before if you're deciding which you want to do I would definitely recommend the audio I did find it really good to listen to and I think also maybe 
those points where you do find it a little bit confusing. I think the fact that, you know, the continuation of the audio, the fact that it was still taking me through, kept me in it in those moments, maybe. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. I would agree with that. Um, So a couple of things I wanted to note about Sarah's performance. There was Mm -hmm. kind of, I don't know what the right word is, but there's uh, sarcasm's the the Mm. wrong word, but there's kind of like there's this wry wit to the way that she performed it, Mm. especially when she was reading as the main character. Mm-hmm. Secondly, I really enjoyed the range of accents that she used. There was kind of a lot of northern sounding mm-hmm. uh, accents, and there was kind of it wasn't quite Geordie, but it was kind of that mm-hmm. sort of part of the country. And she kind of mixed that with posher sounding accents, and the way she did a lot of the male characters, I really enjoyed. And kind mm-hmm. of there was a couple of the you know female characters she performed really well. I think the yeah. sister of the queen yeah, was, uh, was ultra uh, ultra mm. annoying, which I quite enjoyed because <laughs> we all know there's people that do speak like that with that kind mm-hmm. of like sarcastic, you know, like that, that sort of thing um, yeah. that I quite liked as well. Yeah, no, definitely. I agree. And I think the accents do a, a good job of helping you distinguish who's who. Yeah. And especially kind of in stretches of dialogue where people are just talking between each other, which I mean, even on the page can be hard to follow. I definitely know I'm sometimes like doing odd and even lines to try and work out who it is that said a certain thing in various books. So yeah, I think they did a good job of that. There were a couple of points, especially like you say, with the sort of Geordie sounding you on yeah. that I thought potentially the accent had slightly slipped a little bit. Um, yeah. But I mean, that's you know, a very picky fault with it. I thought it was really good. And again, it kind of comes back to that. You're aware that it's one person performing and the fact that it's one person doing all those different ranges was really impressive. And yeah, it didn't exactly take me out of it. I thought it was really, really good. One thing I do kind of wish they did make use of. So the book is kind of split up between the main narration and then there's interludes where the point of view character changes. And Mm. I think it would be really useful if there'd been musical stings involved in that yeah Mm. um just to kind of highlight that a little bit i mean they do say kind of interlude and then Mm -hmm. the name of the character that the point of view that we're going to be hearing from but i think that would have added something to kind of especially because it's a fantasy novel you can kind of get away with that a little bit well get away with i think it would have enhanced the experience a bit more yeah i think i think you're right actually and yeah that sort of mysticalness of it certainly would have enjoy some music in there i think possibly yeah especially because we're dealing with different pantheons i just think it's kind of you know Mm. norse sounding or norse based music for when we're switching to like a norse god Mm. or greek uh music when we're going to the point of a a greek god i think that would have been quite nice that would have been cool yeah yeah certainly not something to like fault it with but it would be a cool idea for yeah yeah Yeah. so we haven't talked a lot about the plot so do you want to Mm. talk a little bit about that yeah, so kind of this idea that the the worlds have been merged and kind of gods that have previously been separate and separate pantheons have been shoved together. And yes, the our protagonist has sort of answered a prayer from a dryad whose world is being troubled by the suzerain, who's basically real evil guy. Um, and somehow it's sort of wrapped in mystery through answering that she's then ended up in this dryad's body and has a mission to sort of do something that world and yeah defeat him and yeah meeting lots of different people along the way different obstacles um yeah there's some 
uh, romantic and sexual entanglements. Yes, yeah, quite um, a few of those. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, traveling and all sorts of fantasy stuff. Yeah. So at the start of the book, we're introduced to three gods, which are the god of time, the god of life, and then the, the god of death. And the god of time is, he's set into place some scheme. Mm. And I think we kind of get an idea earlier on that the character that we're following is part of a counter scheme to stop the god of time from achieving what they're doing. But as a result, when they land in Niflheim, they've got amnesia. So they don't know who they are. All they know Mm. is they kind of remember they're a god. They don't remember how they've got here, why they're here, what they're supposed to do. So part of the central mystery of the book is her trying to piece together her memories and Mm. find out why she's decided to put herself into the situation and kind of you know what her role in not necessarily bringing peace but to counteract kind of the destructive forces that are taking place on the planet which to be honest with you I, I think it's a cool conceit it's a very um I want to say kind of Japanese RPG conceit you see that a lot right. kind of the central hero kind of waking up with no memories mm-hmm. of themselves and then trying to find out why they've been put into place I felt that it kind of it affected the pacing a little bit too much for me, right. I think it took a little while to get going in terms of picking up speed. It, but towards the middle and the end of the book, kind of things start happening quite quickly and mm-hmm. we get really involved in what the different character motivations are and mm-hmm. the scheming and the, you know stuff like that. It just for me, it took a little while to kind of pick up speed and right. the narration definitely kept me in it. If I was reading this, I might have put it down after a couple of chapters i think because it's what is you know i don't understand what's going on it's taking far too long to kind of get going and it also seemed a little bit at the start of the book and i think it's it's probably a deliberate choice that things were happening to the main character rather than her making active decisions right to to, to kind of move forward so i was just wondering if you had any thoughts on that yeah i think kind of like pacing wise one of the things i want to bring up is that when you get to the end you get to the author's note And it says how this started as an exercise to improve her English and became, you know, being able to live a lifelong dream of having a book out. And I think one thing to take away from this is that I think this book shows a hell of a lot of writing potential, but it isn't necessarily all the way there yet. And I mean, we spoke about this when we spoke about Terry Pratchett, you know, how when writers are starting out, it's not necessarily going to be perfect and they practice and they hone their craft. And I think that is something to say about this one. I think potentially in pacing wise, the things we discussed about what does your reader know and what do they not know and stuff is things where I can definitely see that, you know, being improved on in the future and, you know, it being kind of more testament to this is, this is a first book, you know, this is a, this is a starting point, definitely. And also in a similar way, I felt that there was a lot of times where the language used was potentially maybe a few too many fancy words, you know? Um, One of the things I love about the English language is that you have so many synonyms and so many different choices of which word you want to use to describe a very similar thing. And like often because those come from different languages. And I, I think that's really cool and I really love messing with that. But I got the impression with this that maybe a kind of writing tutor 
as I'm sure everyone has experienced, have said that the fancier words, the better and use the longer words and stuff like that. Whereas actually, in reality, the simpler, shorter words are sometimes a lot more effective. But again, I think that's something that's going to come with practice. And I mean, there's three of books in this series out now. So probably even, you know, on book three, that's probably already improved. And yeah, as she goes with writing, I think that honing writing skill and certainly writing in a second language um, is going to really improve. Yes, I think it's an impressive debut. I mean, Mm -hmm. uh, definitely for sure. I think especially writing in a second language, kind of English is an odd language (laughs) the grammatical rules don't make a lot of sense and I kind of got (laughs) I kind of got um a little bit of an impression especially coming from I think she's from Portugal kind of Mm -hmm. there might be a little bit of hangover in terms of the way the Portuguese grammar and language is um facilitated a little bit in terms especially in terms of the rhythm of some of the sentences and yeah like you said kind of odd choice of more formal words when Mm. an informal word might have suited the kind of the situation um, Mm. a little bit better. But I mean, it's a really impressive debut. And the the only other major criticism I've got towards the book is about its conclusion. We do get a conclusion to one of the major conflicts, but Mm. she sets up a lot of other things for the sequels in, in, in the trilogy, which is fine. But it's just kind of like, how do I say this? I would have liked maybe slightly more of those conflicts resolved. It, it felt like a superhero origin movie where kind of like Marvel's, you know, done Captain America, but then this kind of like a post-credit scene where this kind of <laughs> setting up these all, all these other conflicts for kind of like phase two and three. And I just, that irked me a little bit. I would have preferred if she'd at least wrapped up a couple of more of those conflicts and then left a few more threads hanging in the air because there's two or three major characters in the book that we don't really know what happens to them it's just kind of like they're left in i don't necessarily limbo but so i know that you know there's two other books and maybe that was a deliberate choice Mm. uh for her to do that but it's kind of i don't know i think novels should be self-contained in their own way a little bit i don't know i don't know what you think about that yeah i think i'll be honest i'm going to take the other i'm going to take the other argument on that one i I liked it I think especially because you know it's on the cover already of this is timelessness book one and I really felt that the way it was ended really did make it feel like a series you know kind of before you get as you will describe the kind of post-credit sequence that I hadn't thought of but I think that's a really good way of describing it um before you get that the main conflict the main you know crux of the book has you know been resolved and that sort of felt to me, I guess, a little bit too standalone for a series. Okay, yeah. And then kind of, oh, wait a minute, but this story continues. And I thought it was a really good kind of, that nice balance between the story finishes, like the episode finishes kind of thing, and yet the world carries on, the characters yeah. carry on, the overall story carries on. Um, so yeah, actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to disagree personally. I thought that that ending really... Um, appealed to me and I thought that was done really quite well yeah I think you know when you are reading fantasy novels mm-hmm. um, yeah you do kind of need to leave, leave things open a little bit in terms of like trilogies and, mm. and stuff like that I just maybe felt she got the balance slightly that's slightly, slightly wrong but yeah I mean it's um, it's, it's going to be interesting to see where the characters go on from there and mm-hmm. see what you know I think is it Kronos who's the the god of time kind of mm-hmm. see what his 
overarching scheme is and how Gaia and uh, Kali, the god of, so Gaia's the god of life and Kali, the god of death, how they kind of interact um, mm. with everything. There was a couple of other things that did bother me. I didn't really understand kind of the, like the central scheme of why the main character had been put in, into place. So I was just wondering maybe if you could explain that to me, kind of why was it necessary for her to kind of lose her memories and all that sort of stuff. I suppose we're getting into spoiler territory. Yeah, potentially spoiler. Yeah, Maybe yeah. skip by like 30 seconds if you yeah, don't want to hear this yeah, bit. Yeah. But I think I think it was about that idea that as to which one of them was going to complete the task. Was it going to be the goddess or the person of the body that she's in? Okay. I think that was kind of the idea because there was a lot of really interesting play between what does one of them know and what does the other. And there was sort of a metaphor of like... Um, you're in my mind, no way I'm in yours kind of thing. And sort of where does that Venn diagram of knowledge go? Yeah. That I thought was quite interesting as to kind of all her thoughts, um, her host, I guess, knew, yeah. but she didn't know all of hers. Yeah. And that was kind of cool. So I think I think the memory stuff was sort of coming from that. But potentially, like you say, it's, you know, memory is difficult enough for anyone to comprehend, regardless of writers trying to do clever stuff with it. So, yeah, potentially there might be some things where, you know, we would change or that she would change again later um, to make this clearer or more um, interesting or however. Yeah, I I mean, I think the question I'm asking is I don't understand why it was necessary for the goddess to lose her memories in order to complete the task. I didn't understand why it was that that was kind of like a necessary Mm. step. For her to take, uh, yeah, maybe it's is a necessary step for the, so that the book could happen. Mm. Um, maybe maybe that that was why. But I, yeah, and talking about memory, so there's I think we kind of hinted at earlier that you know these are two women sharing the same body, and we also mentioned there's kind of quite a lot of uh, rompy pompy, rampy pampy happening in the book. So. Um, in a previous episode, we had Rebecca Fortain on and she kind of mentioned how she preferred to read her romance rather than listening to it. And there's kind of, there are, I want to say explicit sexual scenes, but there are a few scenes of um, uh, uh, sex in this. Mm-hmm. So I was just wondering how, how you felt about those scenes and that sort of stuff. <laughs> yeah, I think it was very much kind of brought into part of the story. And I'm not actually sure how this book classes kind of you know marketing wise and and genre stuff wise but I think it it feels very much to me as a YA novel um you know we've said previously that's not an insult in any way but those sorts of things about kind of dipping your toe in into reading sex scenes and stuff like that is you know a thing of that and you know hormones of the target audience and things like that and kind of love triangles and blah, blah blah are in a lot not all but a lot of YA fiction and I think it did feel very much like a YA sort of book I sort of felt in, in a similar sense so it's sort of a, a subset of that kind of it felt to me very much like a tumblr book and for you personally that may be a good thing or a bad thing but it very much felt to me like it was sort of a a tumblr readership would absolutely adore this book but people who are not so tumblery um, might not think it's for them. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, I, I, I'm kind of vaguely aware of, of what you're talking about. So yeah, I think yeah. that for me, 
her talking about like the glistening loins and like rippling <laughs> abs and like you know wide shoulders and narrow waist and so okay yeah, yeah I get the idea I get the idea <laughs> you don't need to kind of like um go into kind of like so much detail one of the things I did enjoy about those scenes was kind of the dueling and it's very much kind of like the dueling desires of the goddess and the dryad because yeah. there's like different characters that um each of them are kind of attracted to Mm-hmm. For, for different reasons and each of them trying to almost wrestle control so they can realize those desires I thought was quite an interesting story mechanism yeah I agree and kind of interesting as sort of yeah how they shared that out and whose body was it and kind of when the goddess was like oh no I don't I don't really want to but if you're gonna make me (laughs) sort of how I got at one point and yeah I did think that was interesting and certainly with you pulling out I definitely think it's something that is an idea that I haven't really seen explored in many places but that has a load of I guess metaphorical potential of that idea is if two people share one body how do things like that work things like consent things like desire yeah yeah. stuff like that that yeah would be a really interesting thing i guess to yeah. explore just on its own really even yeah i think yeah. it is kind of quite convenient that both of them found the male characters that they did end up sleeping with both of the characters found them mutually attractive i think yeah. it, would have, it would have been quite interesting if they went down the road of like oh i don't really really don't want to sleep um, yeah. with that person and the other person does um i've not read any of the twilight books i don't know if um if you have but there no. were kind of like a couple of scenes that did strike me a little bit at kind of straight out of twilight this kind of a, right. a, a vampire type character in there mm. and yeah and it's just kind of like maybe you're the wrong person t- to ask but I, I don't understand why that's a thing kind of having like an attractive vampire character as a, mm. as, a as as a love interest yeah, I don't get I, that. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I'm not necessarily the person to ask <laughs> yeah. about that. And I think it's the kind of the what's that show on Netflix called? Is it called like You or something? And the fact that there's a load of women that are obsessed with this, you know, oh, male serial killer because he's yeah. a bit handsome. Yeah, and yeah. yeah, that um, not necessarily getting that sort of back. And it's a it's a very different attraction to just like the bad boy attraction because yeah. that's a very different kind of thing isn't it um so yeah i don't know feel free to get in touch with us guys if you want <laughs> yeah. to explain the um the attraction and yeah. it's, it's one of those things where i think we can go okay we don't really get it but some people yeah. do and it caters to that audience you know yeah. people who do are going to really appreciate it and um, so yeah yeah i yeah i mean I- i'm really glad that i was listening to this in audio because i would have had mm. to skip past those scenes i, I do find <laughs> i do find I, anytime i come across a love scene in a book i just i do get red-faced and embarrassed and i have to skip <laughs> forward a few pages they are hard I mean, to get right they are really yeah. hard to get right i yeah. mean we praise um mimid of black conch for yeah. basically everything but did yeah. think there was a lot of um mention of loins in that one as well yeah, yeah. because um, yeah it's a difficult thing and it's certainly not something that we're saying you know shouldn't be in there but it, it's just an acknowledgement that it's something that's so difficult to get right and that even when you do get it right there's going to be people who tell you that that's not right because yeah. it's i think one of the things that is most different in humanity is how we view things like that and our preferences for things like that yeah is just so diverse that you're never going to please everybody. Yeah. So, yeah. And, you know, there is quite a famous prize, you know, the bad sex writing prize, mm. kind of like the worst description of sex in a novel. I mean, none of the description in this book 
comes anywhere near that. No, I think no, no. For what it was, it was it was fine. Just you know, not necessarily to my taste. I've kind of hit all the the main talking points that I wanted to talk about. Is there anything else that you kind of want to talk about in terms of the book? Yeah, I don't know specifically. I think we have really covered quite a lot of it. I think one thing is that. I found there were some kind of real gems of quotes and stuff and moments in there that I quite liked. Like um, there was one about miscommunication between mortals causes more problems than all the gods um, and stuff like that kind of, I guess, a little bit of a kind of practity sort of yeah, um, yeah, quip exactly, there. Yeah, exactly, um, yeah. And there was a part about this, uh, a centaur came across this baby and the baby was sort of smiling and this talk about how, fear of centaurs is is learned and not innate and that obviously thing about kind of how you know we learn prejudice and stuff like that is obviously really important and that was a nice thing that pulled out so yeah I think it is a really good book and again if you felt like you identified with sort of the audience I described kind of tumblery and really loving your mythology then yeah give it a try I think you would like it yeah you know if you're into your fantasy I think Norse myths and uh, Greek myths are kind of quite popular at the mm-hmm. moment and it's 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 a really imaginative take on how yes what mm-hmm. would happen if those two pantheons did face off against each other mm-hmm. and yeah I, I i mean i enjoyed it quite a lot and it, i'm kind of querying whether or not i'm gonna because my, my 2b red pile at the moment is quite ridiculous and yeah. adding a trilogy onto it at the moment seems a little bit foolish but i'm, I'm definitely interested to see where the story goes on from there so for me yeah I, I i'd recommend this if you're into fantasy and if you want to see interesting takes on greek mm-hmm. or norse mythology as well kind of you know the audience that um uh poppy mentioned as well yeah cool so i think that's it guys thanks once again to Susanna for providing us with the review copy if there's yeah, any other authors out, out there that uh, want to send us free <laughs> um, <laughs> um review copies when we're more than interested in. So I'm not too sure what we're going to be doing next. We might be having an interview mm-hmm. with someone. So um, any closing thoughts, Poppy? Uh, no, I think I'm good. Okay, great. So guys, thank you uh, so much for listening. Please subscribe. Please leave a rating and review on whatever platform you find this podcast on. It really just helps with discoverability and listenership and all that sort of thing. And yeah, so thank you very much and take care, guys. Mm -hmm. Okay, bye. Bye.